Welcome to the Parent Guide to GCSE podcast, episode number 12. Today's guest is Apprentice Superstar, the one and only Joseph Valente. Okay, welcome to the Parent Guide to GCSE podcast, and hello, Joseph Valente. Hi, good afternoon. How are we doing? All good here. Oh, Thank good. you very much. Now, we just had a very quick chat off uh, before we started recording about the fact that you went to uh, the same school that we started teaching at together. Indeed. We were yeah, did you, go to, did you go to it when it was the old stand ground or the new stand ground? Oh, the oh, old. The old, yeah. The old, the old, the old, yeah. I carried on working whilst it became the new stand ground, but uh, no, the good old days, stand ground college. Yeah, yeah, the, we were the good old days. About six Lovely. months away from being your teachers, probably. <laughs> so, <laughs> Crazy, <laughs> right? All the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you would probably would have hated me if that was the case. <laughs> I was maths, so you said in the book that you liked maths, so I might have. I did, right. I did, I do like numbers. <laughs> <laughs> You've been astonishingly successful despite not having had a normal school experience. What do you think are your key skills attributes uh, that have made you so successful? Um, so I think a lot of it comes to do with um, my, my upbringing, really, and, and the background of where I came from. We, come from. we came from a working class family. My mum worked three jobs. My dad didn't work. Um, it was a very challenging time. We struggled for money um, and struggled for, you know, all of the things that I wanted that seems like all of the other wealthier kids had. Now, that gave me a certain level of drive from very early on. Uh, that would that allowed me to you know focus and fight and go out there and and try and win all those things because I learned in the very early days that no one was going to get them for me um, so my drive came from really not having the things that I wanted and not being able to accept that that's just the way that it was that makes sense um, so that really pushed me and inspired me and I was very lucky to um, have a very successful uncle growing up. And I got to see two different worlds. And I do believe that a lot of people um, get stuck in their world and they believe that their circumstances are their circumstances and they can't break out because anybody that um, is different to them is, is um, you know, they're, they're um, unique or they're lucky or they've been given this or they've been given that and, you know, then they're not like me, so I can't get that type of mentality I see. And, you know, seeing my dad and seeing my uncle who used to turn up once a year in a brand new BMW or a brand new Mercedes in a suit, you know, he walked with presence, um, he spoke well, he, he was very likable, you know, and controlled the room versus us driving in an A-Reg banger um, and my dad not working and stuff. I saw that there were two lives and that you could have the choice to become either one of those. You know, I could have been like my dad or I, I could be like this guy and I chose to find out what the steps were um, to get from where we were to be like him and have that life. Um, so that was a big inspiration to um, getting me going, if that makes sense. You talked, um, so we uh, both have, have read your book uh, and you talked a lot in the book about the influence that both your parents had on your life in, in very different ways. Can you talk a little bit more about kind of how that was for you? Yeah, without a doubt, you know, you know, as you get older, you start to appreciate things in a different way, you know, and I, and I obviously loved my mum so much and still do growing up. Um, and she was such a hard worker and she was the provider and she was an amazing woman, you know, and she, um, she inspired me to want to be successful because I had to give back 
I had to get her out of work because I knew how much she struggled and how much she, de- she put up with and dealt with. And I felt like I had to give her something at the back end of her life. And I was the man to do that. But that inspired me to work hard and, and create enough wealth so I could get her out of retirement, which I did about two years ago. Um, and she's about 56, age 56, um, which was nice. And then, you know, as much as I hated my dad growing up and really hated him and I stopped seeing him at the age of 13 and, and I've only spoke to him once since and I'm now 30. Um, now I look back and think that maybe if he was an average dad and was okay and a good guy, then I might have turned out different and not have wanted um, the universe. And I might have just been okay with um, just 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 being okay, if that makes sense. So I, I love what I do now and where I want to go. And I kind of thank him for the fact that he was an arsehole. Um, <laughs> allowed me to... Um, create a different life but it also gave me values that my children will never ever go through what I went through or grew up how I grew up you know and I would always make sure that I'm the person that I didn't have does that make sense mm. I love the story in the book about uh, about your mum and in the office as you're busy getting expelled and the look of disappointment on her face and how you went tracked forward 10 years or so whatever it was to the apprentice and the uh, you know, the, the studio audience at the um, the after show, as it were, and she's sitting there yeah. being smiling. You, you had, you'd made her proud and it, it'd been a long journey, but that was... Uh, what a feeling. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that was probably one of the most special moments in my life. And, you know, I remember coming out of that headmaster's office and how disappointed she was and crying. And, you know, I, I don't know where it came from, but I just remember thinking at 15 and I said to her, listen, don't worry, I'm going to be okay. This is just, this is the beginning. You know, and I know that you said that it's going to be parents listening, you know, and, you know, she was obviously my parent and was very worried about the fact that I was going to be a failure and, you know, GCSEs were the be all and end all and what would I was going to do without them? How was I ever going to succeed and get a job and everything else? Now, you know, if your child doesn't do well at school, it doesn't mean he's a bad person. The curriculum might not just fit his style or her style. They may excel in some things and not others. Um, it is an important part of, um, progression but it isn't um, the final destination if they don't succeed they've got another chance to do it um, you know and the world is changing the way we wait, make money um, the way businesses grow and you know people aren't going to be used to people making money online through content creation and so on the curriculum isn't designed to teach any of that by the way so your child um, might be um, very passionate about one thing or a certain subject that you know, wouldn't be what would be relevant to them being taught in school and they're not going to necessarily fit. Um, so the point that I'm trying to get to is there is if they end up being expelled or they're not getting on and they're not getting in lots of trouble because they don't fit, don't count them out yet, just yet. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I and mean, there will be a lot of parents who, whose um, children don't do particularly well at GCSE, particularly this year possibly, because most students start working for revision around around the time the pandemic hit. So uh, their teachers will have not... Are they going to go ahead, the GCSEs or not? No, no. they've been, they've been cancelled. Um, so teacher, teacher assessed grades are being given. So mm. for those students who aren't particularly academic, who may have put some work in towards the back end of year 11, um, schools were closed by the time they were thinking about putting the work in. So there will be some people who are really going to miss out. Um, and the parents may be concerned that... it. it is going to be the end of the road as it were but mm. i think your example shows that actually it could well just be the, the beginning of something fabulous so 
Yeah. And there are two ways that the child can take that. They can go, right, nobody believes in me now. This is what I did, right? No one believes in me. My mum's given up. The school's given up. You know, and there was two ways that I was going to go. And I, and I'll say to them, and I'll, and I'll be honest about them, right? Part of me wanted to go stick my middle finger up and say, right, I'll show you how bad I can become now, right? Because that's what you think about me. That's who you think I'm going to be. I'll be the baddest kid and the, ba the baddest you've ever wanted me to be, right? That, I nearly went down that road. So close. Up until the point that I was 15, hanging around with 20, 21 year olds in the park on the days that I should have been at school, you know, and I was getting in lots of trouble. I was with the wrong crowd, you know, and I realized and I looked around and I thought, Jesus, this is going to be my life now. You know, if I don't do something here, the cavalry isn't coming. No one's coming to save me. My mum's given up. Uh, my dad isn't around. You know, the schools are gone. You know, it's down to me to change my life here. So luckily I was able to turn it. But there's two ways that your child is going to go if they were like me. They're either going to go down the bad road and there is no coming back, or they're going to make a decision and go that way. But the parents should be fundamental in pulling back from that way and inspiring to go that way, you know, and, and play a critical role in the, in the teenager's life at this moment in time to make sure that you're inspiring and say, listen, you don't go that way. You haven't, you know, you might not have succeeded at this, but, you know, what are you testing me on? You know, and, and, and I, I always never could understand that, you know, I'd be sent to art, I can't draw, and then you're telling me I'm no good at art. I know, hello, <laughs> you don't have to tell me that I'm no good. Just stop sending me there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I thought it was schools these days that did this. I didn't realise it happened back in yeah, 2000 yeah. and whenever. So I, can, I never quite got it. And, you know, and then, and then, you know, your teachers are saying that, you know, good at one subject when you know that you're not. And that, that, was, that was difficult. But, you know, it's a critical time to support, support and say, look, go this way, go this way, go this way. Don't go that way. But, you know, be around, be around and help them go the right way. Makes sense. Yeah, so you talked about the moment you decided you were going to turn it around and do something different. What did you do? What were the, the steps? So if you, if you, if for a teenager listening to this, going with, do you know what, um, that sounds like that's where I am, I'm at that crossroads. Can you kind of tell us a bit of the story about what happened there? Okay, um, yeah, 100%. I'd, I'd say look, fast forward your life and look um, into the future and see who you're going to become. I knew I would end up becoming like my dad and I, I hated him so much I didn't want to. So that inspired me to make the change. Um, and um, secondly, you owe yourself more. You know, you, you've got one, one life and you owe yourself more. I don't care what teachers say about me. You know, I didn't care that my mum had given up. I didn't care what anybody was thinking. I cared about myself and I thought, you know, I've got one life here. I've got to create a destiny. I have to. You know, I've got one shot. So why would I be bothered about what anybody else says? I want to win for myself. Okay, so first and foremost, um, you need to do it for yourself. You know, you're worth more and um, you've only got one life. So make the most of it. But look at where your life will end up if you don't make a change. You know, you're going to have no money. You're going to struggle. It's going to be a battle. And you don't want that. You know, I saw what that was like growing up. And if you've had that growing up, then don't um, do yourself the disjustice and do the same. Second, you've got to realize that you don't have much to offer, okay, at this moment in time. Um, and you better realize that quickly and you better start making yourself valuable. 
okay, and um, you can start making lots and lots of money further down the line, but for now, you need to graft and work hard. And you know, and, and I went to work for a local plumber who just started his business, and I went to work with him for a whole year for free. Mm-hmm. No, I wasn't bothered about the money. I didn't need it really. I, I was surviving off a little bit of a little bit of money, and I was still living at home. But that value that I gave made him say to me straight away, 100%, I'll give you the job. And in exchange, I got all of his knowledge. So by the time I turned up at college at 16, when everybody else was there, I was already a year ahead of my um, college classmates. And I smashed through the apprenticeship much quicker. I was able to ask for pay rises when I started getting paid much quicker. Um, And um, it made me attractive to the marketplace. You know, you've got to add value to the marketplace. Um, first and foremost, to be able to get the reward that you want back. You've got to sell yourself in, you know, and there'll be people that say to me, you don't need to work for free. People should be paying you for your time. Yes, of course they are. But if you're wanting to, um, if you're wanting to get something that people don't aren't going to be chucking at you, then you've got to give them something, right? And, you know, I used to work for free all of the time to try and get ahead. Um, and it really paid off. So I can only go off my own experiences. So I would say, go to work, find a job, and um, try it for free if you want to win the job. And when you're there, work extremely hard. And you don't have to do a year, you could do a week or two weeks, but just show them you're so committed and you're so valuable that when it comes to the time that they make the decision, that you will not, um, you, will, you will make sure that you get paid. Makes sense. I think another point that comes from the book is um, don't give up as well, because you had so many obstacles thrown in your way in that first, was it, how long was the apprenticeship? Was it two years? Two years. And what, six employers? Yeah, six or seven employers. No fault of your own. And it was just a constant struggle to get where you needed to get to. And, you know, and and it was, it was almost, you got to the point where it just became, it became normal that every few weeks I would lose my apprenticeship, you know, and I was a good guy and it wasn't my fault. And I don't mind, but at 15, nothing was my fault. It was everybody else's, um, you know, or I thought that, you know, (laughs) like lots of teenagers do, but then it, it really, really wasn't, but you know, I just never gave up. And there were points that was like, well, I'm in my third apprenticeship now. Is somebody in the universe telling me not to be a plumber? You know, it's somebody telling me and I kept battling through and I battled through and you get the result. But you've got to ask yourself, how bad do you want it? You know, I still I still that still runs through my DNA till now. How bad do you want it? How many hours are you prepared to work? How much does it mean to you? How much do you want to change your life? And you've got to ask yourself, what is your why? My why was so ingrained in me that there was no way that I was ever going to give up. It just doesn't comprehend giving up. Yeah, so I use that why and all those all those years of bad emotions and wanting to change my life to propel and inspire me to keep going. That was the fuel that never ran out. Yeah, we a phrase I heard recently that I loved was "new level, new devil." Yeah. Whenever you step out of your comfort zone and you're stretching yourself, something comes to just give you a bit of a knock. And at that point, you have the choice: it's either like give up because it's got a little bit tough, or show the world what you've got. And you very definitely took the second option there. Yeah. Next level, next level. And remember that one. The the why thing that you talk about is Mm. it's so important, but there are so many students these days and so many parents who sit there thinking, well, I've talked to my child about it. They've got no idea that, and and that 
causes a problem with the the drive that they have you know why should they bother working why should they bother revising they don't have that end goal to make them think i've got to do this and i've got to do it really well and that's one of the things we keep i think yeah banging on about it. talking about endlessly because without the why it's very difficult to get them it's far time i mean and you just said they're the end goal now i, I professionally coach businesses now for a lot of money and i'll sit down with the business owner and say to them first and foremost okay what's the end goal begin with the end in mind because they just you know it doesn't matter if you if you if you don't know what you're doing at 15 i'm, I'm coaching businesses that are, they're 40 50 years old and they still aren't knowing where they're going but they're just doing it, doing it, doing it because they haven't got the end goal yet. So then, you know, the parents should be saying to the child, who do you want to be? Yeah, who do you want to be? Get an idea, write three or four ideas down. Who do you want to be? What's the end goal? Begin with the end in mind, right? Then once you know what the end is, now we work out an action plan of how you're going to get there. And, you know, if these opportunities that you take throughout your career don't go towards your end goal, then they're not the right opportunities. If you want to go to university to... Um, party or to have a couple of years um, to chill or to do a random degree that isn't going to help you in the working world after, it isn't the right opportunity. It isn't going to get you to your end goal. So don't take a degree in some, a random subject when you want to be something completely different. You know, so begin with that end in mind and then start to build out a roadmap to what that looks like. What are my stepping stones? My uncle told me, when I was younger, that, that life's a journey and on each part of the journey, you get into a different vehicle, right? And each vehicle will take you to, um, you know, a different, a different part in the road. Now, in Pragas, for me, that business was my, um, that business was my taxi to the bus station. So he would say that you'd leave your house, you get in a taxi, get to the bus station, you get on a coach, you go to the train station, you get on a train, you go to the airport, you get on the airplane and you go here. And Imprigas was your vehicle to get to the next stage. So there has to be a set of vehicles that are going to get you out on your roadmap. But, you know, you ain't going to leave your house and try, you live in London, you won't get to Scotland, right, by getting in your car and just driving. You need your final destination and you need the roads that you're going to take. So look at your life in the same way. What's your final destination? What vehicle are you in right now? And map out how you're going to get there. You know, you need a structure to work to, not just in business, not just in your GCSEs, in your whole life. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's one of the things, it's one of the reasons that we talk about this so early on in our, in our membership for, for parents, because... Teenagers don't think about this stuff. They're so wrapped up, understandably, in like GCSEs and <laughs> academic stuff because that's everything at the time. That's all that their teachers are going on about. It's all that they hear about all the time. If their route isn't something traditionally academic, mm -hmm. then it can be really, really hard for them to actually see that bit mm -hmm. further down the road and go, do you know what? Actually, I'd be really great at this particular trade, for example. So yeah. is there anything sort of words of advice in terms of looking at more vocational routes because there are plenty available it's mm -hmm. just not something that schools talk about as much i think yeah 100 percent. i think um you know you've got to look at I, I recently ran a national company with 150 people in it as the ceo and i can't sit at a desk for more than three hours i still can't yeah, I can't, I, I don't like and sit down and write for ages, but I can run senior managers on £100,000 a year and make a whole company work. So just because I don't learn in that academic style, it doesn't mean that I'm not any good. But same, same with the child, right? So I think you've got to get on board with what they're good at. 
Yeah, you don't, you don't, with school, GCSEs in how many subjects? Ten. Well, do you, do you go ten to maximum, a, but probably eight these days. Okay, do you get employed and do ten jobs? <laughs> you do one. You do one skill. Yeah, that's it. If you're an accountant, you're not a salesperson, an operations manager, um, you're not in recruitment, you're in accounts. And as a job, you are graded on how good you do at that job in that one specific subject. So forget about the 10, 11 subjects. What are the two good subjects that they're going to master and take into a job? Because then, you might not like me saying this, but then the others don't really matter, right? Because you're, never, you're, not, going to be 11, you're not going to have 11 job roles. You're going to have one job role, really. So you need to master that skill. So understand what your child is good at. Understand what they like. Stop trying, to, stop trying to get them better at the things that they can't do and get them to own and improve on the one or two skills that they can really excel at. You know, I can't use Excel spreadsheets, right? I am crap at them, but I can read them inside out, okay? Three years of advanced, insane levels of forecasting and planning and strategy and numbers and conversion rates and everything. I can read and track all of the conversions and everything within the numbers. You ask me to put it together, it will take me six months or I just wouldn't get there, okay? So I don't sit down and learn Excel courses. I get somebody to do the Excel spreadsheet for me and then I do the bit that I'm good at if that makes sense. But own, own, own what they're good at and, and get them to work harder on what they're good at and, and do okay in what they're not good at. But don't waste too much time on the stuff that they aren't going to take moving forward. And try and get on board with what they like. You know, where do they want to go? What does it mean for them? You know, not what people are ramming down their throats and telling them to do. What do you want from your life? Where would you like to go? What do, what do you think can help you the most? And, um, you know, being an apprentice or going into construction at the time for me, I felt like it was the non-smart way of going to university. Yeah, it was like, you're not as clever and you're not as good if you can't go to uni, so you go and do an apprenticeship. But that's just not the case. The reality is, I just, you know, I still had to do an MVQ level three gas course that I ended up paying £6,000 for and had to study for it and everything else. So I can do the studying bit, but working with my hands, doing the job and everything else just made me so much more um, productive and I was able to excel in it. You know, I went from being a, a, an expelled student that was getting kicked out every single day, scribing school every single day, turning up with no books, no bags, in trainers purposely so they'll send me home. Um, you know, I was a little shit to be honest with you. And then at 16, when, at 15, when I went to work for this plumber, you should have seen who turned up in his uniform, polite, going into customers' houses, great guy, worked really hard, did whatever I was told, never answered him back because I wanted to do that. I didn't want to go into English science and humanities or whatever it was. Or art. Yeah, yeah or art. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just because it's the environment, not necessarily the, the child or the person. Definitely. Yeah? If, you look um, at, if you look at a group of teachers on a training day ever, we hate training days. Yeah. Like, it's all the things they teach you not to do as a teacher. So they'll stand up, they'll read a PowerPoint to you. We're all there dying of boredom. And they all, every single teacher in the room starts messing around. We become yeah. that naughty child <laughs> because we don't want to be there and we're not interested because they're not teaching it in a way that interests us. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. It's you've got to play to people's strengths and you've got to help people find their strengths first. So yeah. 
And it's difficult to do because you've got to understand that obviously a curriculum has to cater for the masses and it can't be tailored. But when you understand that, that's okay. But then, you know, from, from on after school, then they get to get a lot more specific into what they want to do. So then, you know, they've done their best in the GCSEs. They've owned the one or two subjects that they're going to really excel at. Then it becomes a lot more niche, you know, until the point that they get to really what they want to do. So, you know, don't beat them up if they don't do too good in GCSEs and just support them on doing much better in the specific role that they want to achieve on. Yeah. Um, so, oh, <laughs> so um, I was going to... I was going to talk, I guess, briefly about um, your your memories of school, and you know, if, if you could go back, is there anything you'd change, or is it that the journey that you went on made you who you are today, and and that's just the way that it was? I'd be less disrespectful because I understand how hard the job would be to be an adult and to manage lots of teenagers. It sounds like hell on earth. Um, to be honest, you know, if I had to do it now, it's very, I, I, you know, I'm a terrible manager and like being a teacher is kind of managing the class as well. You know, I know how hard it is employing people to do what you need them to do, let alone, you know, people that don't really want to be there and they're out, they're forced to come. It must be very difficult. Um, so hats off. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have been so disrespectful because it's such a hard job to do. So I would take that back. Um, and then... And then I probably would have, I would have probably tried harder to understand, to, to learn in the, the stuff that I needed. You know, for example, I'm, I'm still crap at IT, right? And I didn't listen in that subject. I'm no good on computers. I have to get everybody to do everything for me, you know, and it's a nightmare because I know what I want to do. I just can't make the thing work half the time over the very basics, right? So I would have, I would have excelled in those subjects that I would have known, you know, because I didn't know that they were going to be value to me, to valuable to me at some point because I didn't really realize what it, what it was going to do for my life further down the line. So I would have owned the subjects better. And not that, think that it's a waste of time because I spend probably two hours a day self-educating now and I have done for the last six years. I am obsessed with education, but all I do is learn. You know, I learn so much, but it's because it's stuff that I want to learn, you know, and not stuff that's forced on me and um, things that I'm passionate about. But, you know, I can't get enough of learning now. I'm probably reading two audio books a week and I have been doing that for years now. Mm. And I need to do that to keep leveling up in where I want to go and gaining new skills and knowledge. So for the benefit of the audience, so what books are you on at the moment? Uh, so I'm on one called um, Traffic Secrets, um, which is basically by a guy called Russell Brunson. So my new business model is basically um, education. Well, actually, I've just launched a business called The Power to Succeed um, University. Can you believe the irony? Uh, I've now got my own online university um, and you get a sales degree at the end of it and everything, which is brilliant. So part of my business model is to drive traffic to um, free webinars where I host free training and then we sell courses off the back of the webinar. Um, so I've got that one on the go. Um, and one called the 10x rule, which I've actually, which I'm listening to this week, which I've read maybe 50 times. I better persevere then. I've started that one and I didn't get through uh, yeah. all of it. I got distracted by something. You read or listen? Uh, that one I'm reading. Yeah. I, when I was doing long car journeys, because I was, I was working over in, in Bedford and every so often I'd have it on audiobook, but I find I pick it up there by reading. So 
for me. Yeah, and I'm an audio guy. I can't read. I can I read, find... but I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't read. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, if I find a good thing on on an audio book, I find if I'm learning lots from it, I have to get it on on Kindle as well, so yeah, that I can read right. and absorb it properly. It's it's stupid, but it's true. The other thing that I do as well, if anybody does listen to audiobooks and wants to tip, is I now listen to them on two times speed and get mm -hmm. them half as quick. Yeah. Uh, you have to get used to adjusting those ears to it, but you know, once you can digest it, you can fly through the books. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's something we recommend to um, parents who tell us their kids just aren't readers. They're just, they're not into it. It's, you know, find a book that interests you, that you actually care about, and then get the audiobook. So you don't have to read exactly. in inverted commas. You can listen and you can still be learning. So yeah, even if it's biographies and stuff. So talking of biographies, the three biggest influences on your life, please. Um, my mum, my uncle, and then I have to say next, Lord Sugar. That's exactly what he wrote on the list of questions. Yeah. As, as his predictions. <laughs> just throwing out, I, I, I personally love Uncle Tim. I mean, he sounds fantastic. <laughs> mm -hmm. What, Brilliant! He would what, love that. <laughs> what does um, what does he see? What does he think of you now that he's seen you grow from way back when to where you are now? He must be well I, proud. Yeah, I think so. It's funny because um, he started helping me with the business as well when I had when just before the apprentice helped me write my business plan and everything for it, and we became very very close around that time. And um, yeah, and then to see it go on to a national company from there. He remembers when I'd go down, I'd drive down to Birmingham when I was about 23 or 24. And, you know, I had about three or four plumbers working for me, a part-time lady in the office, Debbie. And my phone would just ring non-stop. And we were trying to do like a session where he was coaching me on how to become a businessman. And it never stopped ringing, you know, and it was um, crazy to go from that. And then a few years later to where I got to. Um, but yeah, no, he's, uh, he's a cool guy. Well, I've got to ask some questions. I'm a bit of a fanboy about The Apprentice. So, um, how was it you you know went from uh, late application or you you read the email late didn't you to to yeah. win it in what six months yeah it was pretty crazy so um i'm a big believer in the law of attraction um i believe in destiny i believe in legacy um i believe whatever you put out into the universe you get back be that positive or negative and um you know if you read the book if you read the story um that i bought lord sugar's book and i took out a 15 grand loan and started my business off the back of it without you know any knowledge about how to run a business or anything it inspired me that much and then three years later um i walked into my home on a on a january night very cold night and got my phone out and it said the last call for the apprentice um and i knew at that moment that very moment that was the universe sending me a sign and i knew it already won when I saw that, I knew it was just, I'm, I'm so obsessed with this stuff and it's hard to describe, but I knew at that moment in time. So then I applied for it. I got on and you know, I had to, I had, I had a business that was doing half a million a year at that point already at the age of 25 when I applied and I had to go away for nine weeks and disappear off the face of the earth. Okay. And only, I could only tell four people and, um, and um, I was the main man running the business. Like we were doing hundreds of maintenance jobs a day that I was organizing and sorting out and speaking to all the property management companies. But, you know, for me and for anybody listening, if you want to get to the next level, you've got to risk it. You know, you've got to risk it big. 
Um, and I was prepared to risk the three years of building that company on the very slim chance out of 60,000 people that I was going to win that show. Um, and I risked everything I'd created and I disappeared for nine weeks. I told all of my friends and um, um, greater family and clients that my auntie in Italy was very, very ill and lived on a goat farm and didn't have Wi-Fi, didn't have telephone signals and I didn't know when I was going to be back. I had to go and see her. And then I basically disappeared. Phone went off and I didn't come home for nine weeks and speak to anybody. So it was a crazy, crazy experience. Um, it was, you know, 18 hour days, six days a week, um, no phone, no money. You know, you just task after task. You're locked down in this house with all these people that you don't know. You're constantly being filmed. You're chucked into difficult, awkward situations where you kind of feel like you're set up to fail, where you're pitching these crappy products or whatever it is, <laughs> and you know what it's going to look like on TV. Then you've got to go at the end of the week when you've done the task and go to the boardroom, you know, and get absolutely destroyed if you haven't done anything good. And then you've got that fight. So it was like a nine weeks of pure stress, anxiety, nightmare, um, kind of excitement, fun, um, experience all at the same time. I, I don't understand. How is it so full on? Because it's nine weeks, but there's only, I don't know, 12, 13 programs. Mm. I'd assume there's just lots of dead time where you're day to day not doing anything, just in no. the house. Because like, you've got to imagine, like, every time you get into the vehicle, they film it, like, three or four times. Like, when you're walking, and then, like, there's, there was so much... All right, you, you're kind of right, because there's dead time, but there's dead time when you're sat in them black vans and you're off mic, and because they, they want to capture everything in real time, you're not allowed to talk to each other on a task in case you say something about the task or, you know, and you've got to think when there's three or four teams out, you know, they're filming multiple sectors to try and tie it into what would make an episode. And this, like the days were long and we lived in central London. So then you'd go out to like Manchester and then trying to get back in, you'd be in the car for so long or, you know, it was crazy long days and I don't sleep anyway, you know, and we were getting like sort of three hours sleep a night um, and then they'll bust in your room at 5am with the cameras ready to like wake you up and catch you. You know, I got to a point after day two when they'd caught me twice in bed still. that I was setting the alarm. I was up at 4am before they were coming. I'd already got in the suit and got back in bed. And they were going absolutely mental at me. <laughs> you're ruining it. You're ruining it. You keep getting in suit. You're beating us to it. I said, you're not catching me walking through here in my pants. Right? Again, um, <laughs> against, um, you know, without me knowing. So I was always prepared. And, um, you know, you'd go home and then it was a bit like a big brother in the evenings where they, but, but they weren't filming you. So you'd go into a room and it'd be, you know, the ones that like to backstab and whisper would be whispering or talking about the task. And I ain't got any time for that type of stuff. So if I, if I walked into my bedroom and there was one or two of them in there talking, I'm like, get out. Um, yeah, cause we had to share rooms of five or six people. If you've got something to say, say it straight, you know? Um, so it was a, it was a, it was a crazy environment. It was just mental. They're at 25 and all of a sudden you're sharing a room with five random blokes that you don't know and you're constantly being filmed and living in this house. It was a very important question on behalf of one of our 18 year olds. He said, you've got to ask him, got to ask him. Don't forget when the phone goes and they said, you've got 20 minutes, the cars will be outside. They don't mean that, do they? It's got to be an hour. It's got to be an hour and a half. To be honest, it gets pushed a little bit. But when that phone rings, they start running around the house, getting everyone out of bed. That's as soon as that phone rings, right? You hear it. 
God. And then you know any second that the door's going to bust open, there's going to be five or six blokes with these 25 grand cameras and the boom mics and everything busting in the room. So then it's like rushing around and then like, come on, everybody out, everybody out, everybody out. And like the main producers are running around like shouting that to get everyone going. So it's chaos. Um, you know, and you, it, the time ends up going over, but the, you do actually try and get out in that time period. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I, yeah. I think he didn't believe that that much uh, makeup and hairstyling could happen in 20 minutes. I mean, they're um, the ones that we always used to wait for. You know, the boys would be down and ready, and then like there'd be the one or two girls that really got, and then they'd be screaming at them to hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> Love so it. What What were the most challenging bits for you about the whole the whole process? Um, cementing, cementing the victory in, cause I'd cemented it in my mind. So actually cementing it to the rest of the world, um, was a challenge. Um, you know, I wanted to win that show so badly. It meant everything to me. You know, I was there to win. People were there for the sake of it. Sometimes I thought, or they were there for TV. I was there to win. And that was all that I was going to do. It was all I was bothered about. I was so focused, you know, making Lord Sugar. You know, one of the things that I just wanted as a 25 year old man, um, it was just wanting him to see me like the passion and the drive and the ambition and that I was the right guy. So you know, trying to excel in every task at just one thing so that they could see that I'd done something important. You know, and I say this, and this isn't important for the ones out that, you know, winners focus on winning, losers focus on winners, right? So don't get distracted about what other people are doing. You watch that program all the time where they're at each other's throats in the boardroom. And they're all saying, he was crap at this, he was crap at that. I never got involved in that. I was like, I did this very well. I did this very well. This is what I did to contribute. This is why I shouldn't be fired. This is why you should pick me. I don't care about what any of them are doing. So I'm so focused on what I'm doing well. And then you only go after them if they come after you, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, so I was always focused on trying to get him to see that I was the right person to invest. Um, so that was that was good, um, and then trying not to make an idiot out of yourself. <laughs> it was always in the back of your mind. <laughs> Did they get that on camera? Oh no! Yeah. Do you still watch it? Are you uh, still a fan? I am, but I, I can't really watch it anymore. I, I have this weird thing where I shut doors on on what's happened in my life and I have to open new ones. And every time I go back, like I went traveling to Australia when I was 20, 21 and lived there. Like, I don't think I could go back to Australia because I had such a good time with the people that I had there. And it was amazing. And like, we could never be recreated with that gang that I met there. I just wouldn't want to go back there and it not be the same. So when I watched The Apprentice after, I'm like, the music just does something to me. And like the boardroom and it was such a, a meaningful time that I just want to remember it here and not put myself back in it, if that makes sense. Hmm. So no, I can't watch it anymore. Babe. I tried to watch the series after mine. I always keep in it, but I don't watch it religiously. As long as I don't like it, just because of my own internal emotional system is the way. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree with you on the, uh, the don't go back to Australia thing. I went to Fraser Island twice. First right. time I went was fantastic. The second time, not long after, it was rubbish. Hated it. Yeah. Great Did it place, not feel but... the same? I went there as well. Did it not just feel the same for you? Yeah, it just, yeah I think it was the group that I went with first time yeah. were, were fabulous. And second time, it was, it was, it was boring. 
Yeah. yeah, it's a, a lesson to be learned, I suppose. You, you always, you kind of, you look back on things nostalgically, like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if I could go back to, you know, when life was easy, you know, before we had yeah. kids and we had, you know, free time and money and a life, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But actually, going back, it's not the same at all because you're a different person now. Mm-hmm. And, and <coughs> you look at things differently. It's the same reason that I can read the same business book four times and get something different from it every single time because every time you read it, you're in a different place you are a different person you've learned more stuff and um, and I think that's that's something to uh, to watch out for because I know a lot of teenagers are all like oh I'd like to just they they think in 10 years time I still want to be hanging out with these same mates mm. and doing the same sort of stuff but that's not how it works because in 10 years time you're not going to be interested in that stuff anymore you're exactly going to move on right. And that's a hard one. And then, you know, you know what, even when you try and preach it to them, you know they're not going to listen though, right? <laughs> yep. That's yep. what I always think. I'm going to be like, no, my son will definitely listen to me. He's going to be like, no, dad, what are you talking about? I'm going to be like, son, don't you remember, don't you know who I was when I was a youngster? I went through all this. He's going to be like, whatever, you didn't no. do that. Dad, you're uh, embarrassing. You... <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. I know. <laughs> that's the trick. They never listen to you. They'll listen to everyone else in the whole world. Yeah. Like someone will say to them something you've been telling them for years and to them, it's like, oh, okay. Whereas you're like, oh, I've been telling you this forever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just, it's a teenager parent thing, I reckon. Um, right. So, so uh, what's your top tips for a budding entrepreneur or the parents of a budding entrepreneur? Um, my top tips would be to take an interest in their creativity. Um, you know, inspire them to go on and do whatever they want to do. Make them believe. Now, if they tell you they're going to be king of the world, go, yeah, you can do that, son. Don't go, don't be ridiculous. You know, like, that, that's, that's the way that I see it. You know, you don't, don't, don't pull them back down to reality. Let them have wild dreams and go on and chase them if that's what they want to do. Inspire them to do that. Don't try and pull them to average. Let them be um, insanely crazy if that's what they want. Because, if, if, you know, if you set their dream there, they'll end up there. If they set it here, they might end up here. So, you know... Um, inspire their creativity and let them be creative with it. Um, try and show an interest and, and a passion and, you know, and if they're telling you about it, you know, and it's something new that you don't really understand, then try and get on board of it. You know, if you really care about them, you're going to learn a little bit about it so you can talk to them about it with them. Um, I think that's an important one. Um, and just know that they're going to make mistakes and let them know that it's okay to fail. We're so afraid to fail that we don't ever start. Um, you know, um, failure isn't final. Um, you know, failure is, is, is you have to fail your way to success. It's only final if you give up. So if they do mess up or they do, you know, cause they're going to fail loads of times, right? It's coming. So prepare them for it. Let them know that it's going to be hard after they do and that they pick themselves back up and go again. Um, and I'd probably, they say they're really two strong tips. Awesome. Yeah. Especially if you're not an entrepreneurial person, you know, you've got to try and get on, you've got to try and get in the zone for them. So you've got to, you know, take responsibility as the parent and learn some stuff about it to go, Oh, you heard what Elon Musk is doing. If that's their guy, you know, and you're not really into him, then take an interest in it and and inspire them too. Yeah. Mm. Nice. So, um, I guess final question probably is where are you with your, with your business now? What's the, the plan for the future? 
Where are you? Uh, so I sold Impra at the end of 2019. We were a national company. We've been 10 million in sales a year, uh, 150 staff. Um, it was a big, big business, um, you know, and I, I got out of that business. I now run um, consultancy as a business. And um, basically after Impra, I started up a consultancy in construction to support people um, in the trade that wanted to grow businesses. Plumbers build plumbing businesses, builders build houses, electricians create electrical businesses, but no one's teaching you how to actually run a business. Yeah, a lot of people start a business because they're good at that profession, but they ain't got Scooby-Doo on how what it takes to run a company. Yeah, so I'm here to teach them how to now make that transition from tradesman to businessman. And then um, that was really successful. So I replicated that now into the Power to Succeed brand. So in lockdown, um, just before lockdown, I was about to start an events business. And we were um, going to tour the UK and so on and sell business training courses. Then that went, that put a stop. So I had two weeks of in this apartment going crazy with whiteboards, writing things all over the walls. Power to Succeed came out of that. And um, we launched that uh, about five, four, about four weeks ago now. And that's um, an online training platform for Teachable where we record and create courses for um, sales and and lots of other things in business. So that's going extremely well. It's a very scalable business. So I tend to, I call it the power to succeed university, the world's number one success university. So kind of teaching the stuff, the products that I know, and we'll now scale that internationally because it's all online based. So we run ads to um, training webinars to convert the sales to buy the courses. And it's very, very scalable. Um, so it's not so much people um, reliant it's all systems, it's all online, some really cool stuff. So I'll be scaling that across every continent and adding courses into it as a go. Um, and now it's time to focus on me because I, I, I got stuck in plumbing. Yeah, plumbing was great to me, plumbing was amazing for me, but I didn't want to be a plumber. Yeah, I went in at 15 because I had nothing else and it was good. This is why I go back to the, you're getting in the coach to get to the next level. Now, there were points that I hated Impra. Yeah, I hated it. I didn't want to be the CEO of a national boiler installation business. I created something in my life that I didn't really want to do, but it was the vehicle and it had a timestamp on it. So I knew if I sucked it up and, you know, got through that period, I was going to be able to get to that next level. And that's allowed me to do that now, you know, and now I'm going out and I've got the insane knowledge that I've picked up and, you know, I can go so much bigger and work on the Joseph Valente brand. I want to get back on TV. Um, I want to run the show this time, not be a contestant. Um, so I've got a really cool idea that we're pitching out to production companies at the moment. And um, yeah, and, and now I'm just ready to explode internationally. I just want to go bigger and bigger and bigger. So just taking over the world then, yeah? Yeah, that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> I, need, I need something to take over the world. like that to feed. I need something like that to feed my drive. Yeah, mm -hmm. you, you, you know, I said earlier about your wine. When I, when I got my mum out of, my, of work, I, I, I think back to it now and I did go into a slump. Because I was so bothered about doing that. It's kind of like, right, what's next? Because I'd forgotten about what I wanted and I was doing it for something else. And once I achieved it, you know, it's taken me a little while to refine what my why is. You know, now I've found that again. And that's to leave legacy. I want my name to be remembered for a thousand years when I've gone. So I'm, I'm going to build that out and make sure that happens. Thank you very much for being up with us. If you'd like to know more about how you can support your child through their GCSEs, then head over to parentguide.gcse.com. See you next time.